Welcome to Puckheads. I'm Matt Rosenberg. Alongside me is Zach Smith. We're here on February 17th. We are one week away, less than 168 hours from the trade deadline. I think we're at about 165, give or take, as we record this. And I promise this one will be up before the end of tonight. I uh, completely forgot the entire last week until this morning. And then it took about an hour to get it uploaded. But anyway, Zach, on uh, brighter news, uh, we finally have some things happening on the trade market. The New Jersey Devils, their interim uh, general manager, Tom Fitzgerald, making a couple moves, training longtime captain Andy Green to the New York Islanders. I uh, got a second-round pick and a uh, prospect, and then traded Blake Coleman later last night to the Tampa Bay Lightning for a first-round pick and Nolan Foote, who was a first-round pick in this last draft. I got to tell you, I, I really like the moves that uh, the New Jersey Devils did. I think they made great moves, and I like what the Tampa Bay Lightning did in getting Blake Coleman, who has 21 goals already this year, one away from his career high. Yeah, I think these are... Um, I think all three teams are going to be happy out of these moves. Obviously, if you're the Devils... Um, you were never competitive to begin with. You might as well start selling some of these players. Um, good value. I mean, two really good draft picks, um, a good young player. And I think, you know, I don't know if the Islanders are a real competitor in the East. Um, I mean, they're good. They're certainly good. But it's just so hard with Pittsburgh, Washington um, in their division. Then you have, obviously, Boston Tampa. I think it's a great move for Tampa. Just gives them another great addition to an already pretty potent team. Um, I think everyone is happy all the way around. We'll see if it pays off for the Islanders as they're kind of hovering in that final spot, um, trying to stay out of the wild card and, and host a first-round series. So um, I, I imagine there's going to be a lot more moves to come in the following days. I like the Andy Green move because of how, you know, he's a stay-at-home defenseman. The Islanders need a little bit more defense. I think it'll help. I I agree with you. I'm not sure how impactful a 37-year-old defenseman is going to be for the New York Islanders, but I do think that this is a move that will have benefits to the Islanders, but I really like what the Tampa Bay Lightning did. I mean, just to get deeper, Coleman has a contract for another year. He's at $1.8 It fits their top-heavy cap structure. And, and I mean, what the New Jersey Devils get to get a second-round pick uh, this year, to get a first-round pick most likely this year, unless Vancouver does not make the playoffs, then they'll get Vancouver's 2021 pick in the first round, but you also get Nolan Foot, one of the top prospects in the Tampa Bay Lightning organization. I like it. I, I think we're going to see some more uh, up ahead, some more trades, obviously. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, because now maybe that log jam is finally getting loosened a little bit. Uh, before we go on to more trade news, I it was... What if it's one week ago today, right? Or was it Tuesday? It was Tuesday with Jay Bowmeister. Uh, scary sight. He collapsed on the bench in Anaheim. Now, his dad was there. It was part of the dad's trip. His wife uh, was not watching the game at the time, but Doug Armstrong was on the phone with her immediately. Uh, Bowmeister was shot by the AED device. They, the Anaheim training staff did a phenomenal job. There's a great article on The Athletic. I would recommend uh, reading it about their response time. They were very reluctant to come out and kind of talk about this, but thought it could be, you know, because they didn't want attention, but it could be a learning experience for others. Uh, the response time, I think within a minute, they had had the paddles on, shot them within 90 seconds uh, in order to get his heart restarted. 
The good thing is he's, he's resting comfortably in an Anaheim hospital, Anaheim area hospital. Uh, he's not allowed to travel back to St. Louis, back home yet. He had an IED, uh, you know, a device, uh, you know, to implant it into his heart to, you know, keep the rhythm normal. And it's resting comfortably, but a very scary sight for Jay Bomeister. Yeah, I mean, it was um, obviously a situation that you never want to have happen. Uh, we kind of think of these professional athletes as obviously the the most gifted and the most athletic people in the world, and this just goes to show you that uh, it can happen to anyone. I mean, Bo Meester's been, um, what, close to a couple decades of a professional hockey career. He's been exceptional, and um, just glad to hear that he's um, doing well, that he's resting comfortably. Um Pretty lucky, I mean, to have it be a dad's weekend, to have family there um, on the spot. It's, um, you know, it, it's good for the family that obviously you have someone there that you trust. And, again, you touched on it, the great medical staff with the St. Louis Blues, um, just total professionals being able to respond as they did in, in as quick a fashion as they did. Um, you know, time is of the essence in situations like these. So uh, hats off to them, hats off to the hospital that was able to take care of Jay and um, you know, we keep talking on this. It's more than just a sport. It's more than just hockey. We're talking about real people here in real life. Um, all we can do is hope for Jay and his family that he continues to get better. Absolutely, yeah. So our thoughts and uh, well wishes and prayers, everything going out to Jay, but Weister and his family, very scary. Uh, you know, they had to postpone the game in Anaheim, which was absolutely the right decision to do. And that game will be made up on March 11th. Uh, St. Louis has a game against Florida that's getting moved up a day to March 9th so that they can travel all the way out to Anaheim. Anaheim is having a, uh, it'll be like a string of four home games in six days for Anaheim during that stretch. But uh, the game will basically start as 1-1, but it will be a full 60-minute game. Uh, it will not pick off from where it left off, which was like about the 12-and-a-half-minute mark of the first period. They, they were only about seven minutes into the first period when this happened. So, uh, no, a very scary incident. The last one was Rich Peverly in Dallas in 2014. Uh, I, I really thought it was a lot uh, later than that, I, I, more recent, which it wasn't quite... Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, for someone who's in his prime, he's been in the NHL for, you know, he's been in hockey for 20 years, which I think he got drafted in 98, 99, something like that, and this guy was 37, an Iron Man, and it's very scary. All right, let's go into what teams, as the trade deadline is approaching, need to make a move to contend. And, you know, or maybe to just further bolster their roster. We see Tampa Bay. I suspect we're going to see a response from Boston. But I, I really go to the Columbus, Carolina, Philadelphia. Um, the Islanders could use more scoring. You have Toronto, which has a bunch of injuries. They could use more defense. In the East, I, I just think of those teams and Florida, those teams that are on the bubble that could really use a move to bolster their roster here with one week to go in the trade before the trade deadline. Yeah, I think the fact that all these teams are so close, I mean, you're looking at um, just in the East, five or six teams that have a legit chance and are fighting for those final two spots. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see any moves there. One team that I'm kind of looking to make a move just, just because they've been so good all year and they kind of seem... Uh, to not 
not to be slipping, but just haven't been as dominant as the Washington Capitals. I could see them making a move, really going all in on this team, all in on um, Ovechkin, obviously, having such a great season. Pittsburgh is now just one point behind them in the Metropolitan, which is pretty remarkable considering all the injuries they've had. Then they make the move for Jason Zucker. Um, They've got a game in hand, so I think Washington really is going to need to respond to that um, just to get someone else to to give them another scoring threat. They're so potent. So um, I think there's a lot of teams that understand that they're not going to be competing. They're willing to start, you know, selling off players that won't re-sign or only have a couple years left. Um, I think it's going to be exciting to see how many moves are made just in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, because, I mean, you talk about that top four of Pittsburgh, Washington, Tampa Bay, and Boston. And it's like, what of these third-place wildcard teams is going to come challenge them? You know, is it going to be Toronto? Uh, is it going to be four? Because we, we know the playoffs, and they bring a whole different animal uh, themselves. And we're going to talk about that when we get to the Western Conference here in a minute, you know, in a few minutes. But I, I really think, like, a team like Carolina— could use a little bit more depth. Uh, the Dougie Hamilton injury on defense has been killing them. Uh, I think of Columbus, you know, you know, that Seth Jones for probably the rest of the regular season, maybe you get him back with a week left. Uh, I, I think that Carolina and Columbus could use a move or two. Now, Columbus should be getting Corpus Allo back at some point in the next week or so, I would think. Uh, he's been skating practicing with the team, but there really hasn't been any word since then. And, and Berserkless has been phenomenal for them but this is a you know especially in the metropolitan division we have uh the islanders philly columbus and carolina all uh basically clumped together by what two points that you know one move can put you over the top and i i think the team i'm looking forward to seeing is columbus this is a team that wasn't afraid to go for it last year i i still think that they're not going to be afraid to go for it this year and, you know, they could use probably a little bit more scoring depth and some help on defense to try to get through the Seth Jones injury. Yeah, I, you look at the playoffs last year, and a lot of the blue bud, bloods, a lot of the top teams go down um, on their home ice, um, you know, as the top seed. So if you're a team like Columbus or Philly, Carolina, Florida, that thinks you can sneak into a wild card push, there's no reason why you're sitting there thinking, we can't make a run or we can't compete with these, what we're labeling as the top four uh, sort of powerhouses of the Eastern Conference. So um, I think all teams, you know, that are in serious consideration, you've got 10 teams that consider themselves, um, you know, a playoff team and someone who can make a run. So it's going to be exciting. Obviously, we keep talking about it. It's great hockey when you got, you know, two or three teams that are going to be really good that are on the outside looking in when it comes down to playoff time. Um, all these games matter. One move could make or break your whole season. We've seen that in the in the past several years. So I anticipate a lot of moves, especially after you see Tampa double down and um, the Islanders look to make a push as well. Yeah, and you look at it and, um, you know, you mentioned the Islanders trying to make a push to double down. And this is a team that gave Pittsburgh a lot of issues last year, obviously beating them. In the playoffs, it'll be interesting to see. I think especially, you know, now you see a lot of races tightening up. I mean, every division is tight, uh, incredibly tight. And uh, we're going to talk specifically on the Central Division and what can happen to it in a few minutes. So I think going out west, you know, I look at, like, Edmonton. 
you got to get Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl into the playoffs. And Leon Dreisaitl is very rapidly becoming the favorite for the Hart Trophy with what he's done without Connor McDavid the last couple games. Like, I think Edmonton is a team in the West that needs to kind of solidify themselves as a playoff contender, as a team that can do damage in the Pacific Division and maybe get to the Western Conference Final against one of these Central Division teams, and then who knows what happens there. And in the Central, I mean... To me, it's Winnipeg. Winnipeg is a team that could go on a deep run if they could get some more help on defense to really stabilize the back end because they have the forwards necessary to go on a long run. Yeah, I agree with that Winnipeg point. I mean, for much of the first half of the season, there was maybe uh, some hope being held out that maybe Buffalo will come back, Winnipeg will get their act together and, and make up with them, and he would be that missing piece, and all signs are are really at this point indicating that's not going to happen. We talked about this last week. Could Bufflin be the piece that comes into one of these contending teams in the West and gives them a push? But, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. You could make a case for any of the top five teams in the Pacific. That one move could put you over the top. I mean, we saw Arizona make their big move with Taylor Hall earlier in the season, and that hasn't quite turned them out the way they wanted, um, the way they thought it might as they sit in that second wild card spot. But, you know, I think if I had to pick a team in that Pacific that's not going to make a move, it'd be Vegas just because they have the experience. Edmonton, Vancouver, Arizona, could they go in for, um, you know, a, a pro, someone who's been around for 10, 15 years, who's been in these spots before, that gives them the push they need on the ice and off the ice. So um, there's going to be a lot of moves, like we keep saying, made just because there's 10 or 11 teams that really have a chance to make the playoffs everyone's going to go all in because they all think they have a chance i agree with that and you look at the pacific division with arizona and vancouver you're right i mean arizona made their move and it just has not allowed them to get away from all the other teams in the pacific division and i mean that's just going to be a dogfight and all these divisions are looking like they're going to be fantastic races down the stretch but the one thing that you mentioned is vegas and i do wonder you know vegas is always lived up to the States, but what's their big move, Pete, Peter DeBoer, and try to get this team going, and they've shown spurts of being able to go, it's a, it's going to be interesting, because I don't think it's going to be the splashy move, I think it's going to be that right depth move that turns this race around, and it's going to be interesting to see who blinks first, because you can argue, if you blink now, and you make a move, it gives you an extra week, instead of waiting until next Monday to bring somebody in, so I think it'll be interesting to see um, what happens. I, I always love the trade deadline. Yeah, it's it's always an exciting time um, in any sport, really, when players start moving and, and teams start making the playoff push. I think a point you mentioned a few minutes ago, Matt, that um, is worth repeating. Are any of these teams going to step up and make a trade, or are they going to hold off because they have one of their top guys on the IR right now, and they're expecting that, you know, if you're the St. Louis Blues and you're starting to stumble a little bit, are you saying, hey, you know, maybe we need to get a guy for Bomeister? Maybe we have someone who can come up uh, and help out from our our um, our minor league team. You know, do we need to make a move on the offensive end when we have Tarasenko coming back? Injuries play such an important role because you you mentioned Carolina with Dougie Hamilton. Is he going to be able to get back in time? So do you hold out for him? What do you jeopardize now? Do you you know give up some of your young pieces or your picks in order to have that extra piece? And then you have your guy coming off the IR and helping you out. You know, these these GMs have so much to consider here. And I think we're going to see a lot of teams make the moves. And I think we're going to see a lot of teams 
kind of hold out and wait for their injured players to come back, and then they'll feel like they have their full squad ready to contend. Absolutely. I I think you're right, and I think you have to judge that, you know, with all the injuries that we see Connor McDavid out and all those. I mean, Connor McDavid getting him back, it's going to be like a trade deadline acquisition for the Edmonton Oilers, and I mean, they're holding their heads above water right now and doing a fantastic job. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I agree with you. Um, the Winnipeg, I think if they can get the Buffalo buyout, uh, that's going to open up a lot of cap space for the Winnipeg Jets, and it'll be interesting because I, I get the feeling that Buffalo's not going to play this year, and it might be something where he tries to go to a, another team next year. Uh, all right, a couple quick things, and then we're going to get into the Central Division and uh, a lot happening actually in the Central Division. Uh, the Stadium Series with the NHL uh, in Colorado, the Air Force Academy, just a, a great environment. But a lot of people not being able to get into the game until the second intermission or afterwards because of traffic jams in the area. Uh, I, there are a lot of fans that are asking for refunds, and I don't blame them because you missed the concerts, you missed everything. Uh, you know, the Air Force Academy is it's used to putting on events like this, and it was just a debacle, and, and I don't know how the NHL resolves this. But I do think the fans are justified in wanting a refund because it was, yeah, there's accidents. But when you're stuck in traffic and one guy's got to park his car and walk an hour to get to the stadium, that's unacceptable. Yeah, it's it's just an unfortunate event. Like you mentioned, it's a great atmosphere to have a game in. Um, they're, they're no strangers to having these types of events. Just unfortunate you don't ever plan for this. Um, it seems like this is a, an extreme situation. But you're right. I mean, the NHL, what are they going to do? Are they going to acknowledge, you know, the percentage of fans who missed the game? That takes away from the atmosphere of the game. Obviously, the NHL doesn't want that. Um, Just an unfortunate set of circumstances. We're going to see what their response is. And I'm, you know, I'm eager to see, are they going to go and give some refunds? What are they going to do to sort of appease the fans who were unable to, to make it to such an exciting game? Yeah, I don't know what the NHL does. Tyler Toffoli scores a hat trick in that game. The Kings win three to one. Um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm just not entirely sure what the NHL is going to do. But uh, you talk about a disaster uh, for a big event, you know, the Stadium Series, which has gotten a lot of cachet and growth to it over the years because it's more of a standalone event. Um, yeah, I'm just not entirely sure. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add about that? None. But, it, you know, if, if not, I'm just asking. I, I know you had some notes about it. But uh, Carolina is going to be the host of the stadium series next year. No word on where that is. It's going to be in Raleigh. I think it's going to be in Bank of America Stadium. Uh, and you have some more details Yeah, about they just uh, came out, I think, a few hours ago. The North Carolina State Football Stadium, the Carter-Finley Stadium, will be hosting the game. So a fun environment there. I think it's great that you're going to have Carolina gets a stadium series game. I think there's only five teams now that will not hosted and or been a part of an outdoor game. Um, it's the two Florida teams. I know that. And I'm trying to think, because I think all the Canadian teams have been a part of the Heritage Classic. Uh, Arizona would be another one off the top of my head. I, yeah, I, Columbus, I don't think it's been a part of one because they weren't a part of the one with Detroit. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look at the, the other one's going to bug me now. But, 
you know, you have a, uh, you know, several teams now that just haven't been part of it, but we're narrowing that gap a little bit more, more and more of teams that have not participated in an outdoor game, and hopefully we're going to get to where every place has been able to host an outdoor game at some point. Winnipeg might be the other. Well, no, Winnipeg was, was in a Heritage Classic. Vegas, you're right. It would be Vegas. Duh, they've only been in for three years, so. And, you know, we should have a Vegas-Seattle outdoor game. A battle of expansion franchises. So, I, I'm, I'm all for that. You, you're right. It is Vegas. All right, let's get to the Central Division. One piece of news. The Minnesota Wild, you mentioned the Jason Zucker trade last week. Uh, they also traded, uh, they also fired Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, when they were right outside looking in on the playoff race uh, for an interim coach, one of the assistants, and I'll get his name in a second, but Bruce Boudreaux fired. What do you think about that move? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I I certainly didn't see it coming. Minnesota's been kind of a pleasant surprise this year. They're obviously on the outside looking in, um, seven points out of the wild card spot, but it's certainly more competitive than um, at least you and I thought they were going to be as we were making our, our early projections. So, you know, sometimes getting rid of a coach um, – puts a spark in the team. Sometimes it can it can be the missing piece to get them over the over the hump and, and into the wild card race. But I just looking at their roster, looking at the moves that they made with Justin Zucker, um, seems like they're not gonna be really doing this playoff push. I don't see them buying on anyone else. Um, so it's surprising. We'll see what uh what it looks like in the next few games here if if it really does uh, light a spark in them, and I think Boudreaux's someone who's going to have a lot of interest um, around the league as we get into the next season. Obviously, we've talked about he's what the seventh or eighth coach to to be fired this year. Um, obviously, a lot of you know for personnel misconduct reasons, not always on the ice. Um, so we'll see. I think he's certainly going to be one of the top guys to get offers next year, and we'll see if this works. Uh, this move sort of works out for Minnesota. Yeah, eighth coach to be fired this year, which is an incredible amount we give. Um, what is that? That's, I mean, you're getting close to a third of the coaches in the league. I mean, you're talking about uh, you know over a quarter of the coaches in the league have been fired uh, in season. Just incredible. You mentioned about all the coaches that are going to be out there. Uh, Dean Evanson was named interim coach. But, you know, they said that it was a blown lead against the Rangers. They didn't come out against San Jose. They get shut out against them. As you mentioned, Minnesota is seven points out of a playoff spot. Uh, in the West, this is a team that's starting to fade rapidly. Not the only one in the Central that we'll talk about in a few minutes, but, you know, just definitely uh, shockwaves. You know, Paul Maurice gets the extension of Winnipeg. Bruce Boudreaux fired. Uh, a lot of great coaching talent for teams that are going to be looking for coaches uh, in this offseason. All right, let's go into the Titan Central Division race. The Blues have been awful since about New Year's. I think they are 2-6-3 in their last 12 games. They, they have been fading, and I don't know if it's just hitting the wall after a long, uh, a short offseason, a very long season last year. Uh, but all of a sudden, Colorado and Dallas are one and two points. Uh, uh, or no, sorry, Dallas is tied with St. Louis now. Colorado two points out. But this is a team that it's, it has, 
you know, St. Louis, Colorado, Dallas have caught them. This is now a three-headed race all the way to the end. Uh, give credit to Dallas. They've gotten hot since New Year's, so it's Colorado. Colorado's been on a heck of a run over the past uh, dozen games or so. I want to say they've won about nine or ten of their last 12 games. Uh, they have been on fire lately, and so is Dallas. And now, uh, and what you once thought was a given about two weeks ago that St. Louis was going to get the number one seed in the West is no longer a given. Yeah, I mean, a month ago we were talking about St. Louis Blues and everyone else in the Western Conference. I mean, they had been that dominant. Um, yeah, I mean, Dallas 6-2-2 two two in their last 10, Colorado 7-3. Um, you mentioned Colorado's two points back, but they got two games in hand, so right now you have to think of them as, uh, I think of them as the best team in the Central just because of how great they've been playing and um Unfortunate injury for Grubauer and Nett, so we'll see how Colorado works with that. Um, and then you've got Nashville, who's starting to to make their push, and they're you know they're seven games out. I don't know if they'll be able to catch one of the top three spots in the Central, but certainly will be in play for a wild card. So the Central is exciting. I mean, this is a conversation I don't think either of us and most hockey fans across the country and across the world thought we'd be having. St. Louis seemed like a lock for the number one overall seed in the West. Um, I think they've got the mental toughness, obviously, to overcome this. Maybe they just need to hit a slide right here. You get Tarasenko back, and then you make that final playoff push. They're as dangerous as any of the top teams in the league and certainly in the Central Division. So it's um, it's an exciting time. Obviously, we didn't think we were going to have this kind of parity. Now we have it in the Central, in the top three spots, and in the Pacific, one through five. So... Um, yeah, playoff hockey really starts now for the entire Western Conference just because it is so tight. I love it. I, I love the I, I love the fact that now we have a race in every division and no you know you know, yeah, it's two team races in the east in both divisions, but in the west you have a three team race and a five team Royal Rumble Battle Royale for <laughs> three spots and who's gonna, you know, not get thrown off the over the top rope. But you know, you make a good point that St. Louis with Tarasenko uh having missed him for a majority of the season now, you know, you know, when they can get Tarasenko back, it'll be a huge boon to this lineup. But you know, this is a team that's just they're not scoring. Uh you know they're having issues, and I go back to, we talked about the trade that way. Colorado has $30 million in cap space. Unused cap space. They can literally get whoever they want, and so it's going to be interesting to see how does Colorado weaponize that, and, you know, this is a Dallas team that's played great defensive hockey. Ben Bishop's been really well, uh, played great over the last, you know, 12, 15 games, and you have, you know, Joe Pavelski and other guys that are starting to contribute. Tyler Sagan's picked it up for the Dallas Stars, and you see how deep of a team they are. I think it's going to be a fantastic race. And you go, I go back to my point we were talking about, you know, the, the haves and the have-nots in the Eastern Conference between the top four and, and everybody else and who's going to rise up. I bring up that point to tie back in the earlier and the fact that Nashville is 4-0 against St. Louis this year uh, and they won what two games against St. Louis this past week that's a thing when we talk about those matchups if you're St. Louis you probably don't want to play Nashville who should be getting back Ryan Ellis soon too yeah it certainly wasn't a good weekend um, for St. Louis I mean it hasn't been a great month and a half for them but to go down back-to-back games against Nashville um, you know Close in both games, certainly, but 
they just couldn't put it together. So we'll see. We talk about the trades. Who can you pick up? Um, there's no one on the market that's quite as good as Vladimir Tarasenko, who obviously is going to be rusty, but you get him back for Edmonton to get Connor McDavid back. Those are the best pieces that, you know, you couldn't even dream of getting those guys on the trade market. So those will be big, big pieces, and they'll play a big role as these guys become healthier. But, man, I mean, Dallas has been so good. Colorado has been so good. I think the Blues still have a chance to win the Central and to come out, you know, a few points ahead just because they are so stacked um, as a as an entire team. But it's, it's going to be tight, and, you know, how great has Dallas been to see? You know, they struggled in the first couple of months. We didn't want to count them out because they had the pieces. This was, uh, in many regards, one of the top two or three teams in consideration to make a Stanley Cup run out of the West. Um, they're finally putting it together. They have the new coach. The The big guys are stepping up. I love this Dallas team. They have the pieces with Bishop in net to be um, a team that has a chance to not only make it to the Cup but also win it. So I think... Right now, when I'm looking at it and the way they've played, Dallas has got to be, I think, the team to beat, and every every team in the West should be scared of them. I would agree. Dallas is a team that people should be concerned about, you know, with the way that they're playing. They're definitely on the upswing. Uh, I, I think the Western Conference playoffs are just going to be incredibly wild and fun to watch. All right. Let's go really briefly because I'm sure, as I told my mother and my father yesterday, we were talking about stuff around the house. Around that I have to get done around my house, and I'm noticing little things that I don't think I have the emotional capacity or tolerance, emotional tolerance to deal with this stuff right now. As I'm busy, you know, going, uh, you know, doing the stuff that I am professionally and and student teaching and all that. So, Blackhawks one and four under Western Canada swing. They win on Saturday, eight to four. Then they lose to Winnipeg last night when they just can't get anything going in the third period. Um. Are we in agreement that this team is done? Yes, absolutely. It's. Uh, I think it's finally time to say it's over for them. So here's my question. Do you fire Bowman and Colleton in the offseason if they do not make the playoffs? That's a good question. Um, you know, I was ready to fire them a couple months ago, so I may be a bit over the jaded. Um <laughs> I don't think they get rid of them. I mean, I think the fact that they're better than we thought they would be um, this year is gonna is gonna mean that they come back for at least another year, especially Colleton. Um, whether that's the right move, I'm not sure, but I I think they're both coming back. Here's my thing: if they miss the playoffs for a third year in a row, I don't see John McDonough standing pat. Somebody's going. And it's probably multiple people. And to me, I made this argument Saturday on Sports Weekly uh, with Pat. Pat and I were talking, and, and him and I are in agreement that you fire Colleton, you fire Bowman. Is that sometimes a coaching change, and it didn't really in this case because you brought somebody who's younger than half the core, a 34-year-old unproven coach, but look at who's out there. And that's why I mentioned Bruce Boutreau a few minutes ago. You have Gerard Gallant. You have Mike Babcock. You have a whole lot of names in the coaching fraternity that are able to bring cachet. And sometimes just bringing in the right coach can change the way the roster is built and change the way the roster plays. This power play is horrendous. I mean, watching this power play on this Western Canada swing was horrendous. And, you know, if they win last night, then you're feeling a little bit better even though you're, you know, five points out, but hey, maybe I can make a run. But every time this team seems to be close, 
Then there's just a letdown, and it speaks to a lack of depth on this team that Bowman doesn't have. And I think that they should really use this week to take a long, hard look because you're going to have salary cap problems at maybe trading a bigger name. And I'm talking about Dylan Strome because I don't see where Dylan Strome fits on this team. Yeah, I mean, the other name I look at is do you, um, you know, do you get rid of Robin Leonard, who's obviously been uh, a great player and professional in, in such a short time in Chicago, but he is the kind of guy that you can get some value back um, and teams that are making a playoff push would like to have. Listen, if I'm, if I'm making the decisions for the Hawks right now, I'm doing two things. One, I'm going to sell guys like Leonard. I'm going to sell off whoever I can. Um, Strom, I might, you know, think about keeping just because he's younger. But if there's a piece that I'm willing to let go of and someone gives me some decent value for, I'm going to make it just because the young guys have been surprisingly good. And so let's invest in the future. The other thing I'm doing is I'm not waiting till the end of the season. I'm getting rid of Bowman. I'm getting rid of Collinton. And that's because I'm picking up one of these great coaches that are available before anyone else has a chance to grab them. Listen, if you're punting on the season, okay? You can get over that fact if you can pick up a Boudreaux right now and you give him a chance to to look at some of the young players to see what's there, and then you go into the into the offseason knowing where you're headed, knowing the philosophy that your new regime is going to have. You don't give him a chance to say, hey, there might be a few other vacancies that have better rosters and better management. You don't give other teams the chance to poach these guys. You're punting on the season. I can live with that. Get in a better direction. Invest in the future. Let's make some moves and start, uh, you know, giving the fans something to cheer for. Because the fact that they were competitive up until a few weeks ago was great. As fans, you know, we love to see that. But we need an, a few more months. This current regime just isn't getting it done. I completely agree with you that if you decide that a this team is playoff capable, your coach isn't elevating it, or that you know you're moving on, you move on now from your head coach. Um, and your general manager, if you are not going to keep him around after the season, uh, and you just get rid of everybody, and you just start house cleaning, and you bring in a Lafayette, you know, a Glad, as you mentioned, because if you believe that this this roster is underperforming, then you have to look at the coach, and and I do believe it's underperforming. I I really think that this team is just it, it's. I don't know. It's just, it's disappointing when you see that it's going to happen. But I look at that. I'm watching these games. There's no threat on the third line. There's no threat on the fourth line. You know, if the Brinkhead's not scoring, your third line is useless. Um, you know, I like what they put Kirby Dot down under. But then look at who's centering your second line. You're short of a scoring center. David Camp is it, and, and Ryan Carpenter is it. Ryan Carpenter should be the center of your fourth line, not your second line. And that's, that's the whole point. I agree with your point as well that... You should train whoever. Like if you, the problem with goalies is they're so hard to train. But if you think that you can get something out of value for Robin Leonard, and you talk to him and say, "Hey, we want you back," but we're trying to get value, and you come back to us in the offseason, we'll sign you. You know, I think you try to get rid of Leonard or Crawford. I would just get rid of Crawford and resign Robin Leonard, commit to him. But the reason I say Dylan Strome is he's a restricted free agent. You have to resign Dominic Kubelik. Dominic Kubelik has more value than Dylan Strome. And Dylan Strome, I think, could get you a nice package. Eric Gustafson should go. And you have to look at, again, your general manager used all the available cap space on guys who didn't just have one-year contracts. So you're stuck with Olimana. You know, so... I don't know. It's just it's frustrating to see. And it's frustrating, you know, for Hawks fans. Uh, I don't know what they're doing, but I... I would be mightily disappointed if we're talking at this time next week 
and they've done nothing in terms of trades. Yeah, I mean, you and me both. It's um, I think the consensus in all of the Chicago land area has to be that the Hawks just don't have it. Um, you know, they're not going to make a push this year. They would re- they would need just the the other franchise in front of them to close shop for them to have a chance. I mean, I just think even though it's only a few points separation, I really do think they're so far behind these other teams and. Um, I would be disappointed to see him make the second wild card spot and then just get embarrassed um, in the first round. So start selling off on players, get some value back, change the change the regime, and um, you know make the moves now before you miss out on the top coaches, the top GMs, and the top value you can get for some of these guys that you might lose for nothing. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, and I love your Robin Leonard point because that's a great point. It's probably the most valuable asset that they have. All right. Again, we changed the top three in the spirit of the trade deadline. Uh, top three players we think are going to get traded. And I'll start with mine. Uh, number three, uh, John Gabriel Pedro, the senator of the Ottawa Senators. He has 22 goals. He leads the team in points. Uh, I think he could be great on Colorado. I think, you know, it'll be interesting because I know Ottawa's trying to resign him, but I think he could make a huge impact on a team like Colorado, on a team out west. You know, Vancouver providing some, you know, veteran leadership because um, he's going to get paid this offseason as well. Number two, I put Chris Kreider uh, of the Rangers. I think the Rangers would be foolish to hang on to him unless they're going to re-sign him much like a Pajot. You know, this is an, uh, a free agent. This is somebody who's going to get paid. Again, somebody who I think would look really nice in Colorado or in Edmonton. Uh, he has a lot of speed. He's going to add speed to whatever team, but I think if you're kind of in that in that luck to get somebody like a Chris Kreider who can you know play on special teams as well would be huge for a team out west. The number one target I put was Alec Martinez, and this is a guy who has another gear in his contract, kind of similar to uh, Jake Munson's situation last year with the LA Kings. And uh, I think that Alec Martinez would look great on a team. He's a veteran defenseman. He's steady. He's reliable. And he'll be able to penalty kill for you. And the immediate thing that I think of with Alec Martinez of the Kings is that Winnipeg should go after him. Winnipeg needs some more reliable defensemen to help out. This is a guy who will elevate their defensive core. Uh, He's been there. He's been in playoff battles. I think Alec Martinez would be a heck of a game for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, I mean, three great great players that I think could really make a difference um, going to any of these teams in the hunt. Um, Your point on Chris Kreider is great. I was was watching that Rangers game yesterday, and – um, you know, watching them remain competitive with Boston all the way to the to the final sound was um was awesome. He's been on an absolute tear. I mean, I think he's got close to thirty points in the last fifteen games or so. Um, it's obvious that he's playing either for a trade to a contender or for a, a big contract. So I think he'll be a great addition if if they send him out. My number three, Thomas Tatar with the Montreal Canadiens. I just think the Canadians got to be real with themselves. They're they're not making a push. I mean, right now they sit about nine points out of the second wild card spot with, uh, you know, just frankly some teams that are a lot better than them um, leading the way. So I think you can get some value for Tatar. He provides you some good veteran presence, a uh, good scoring threat on you know the second or third line if you needed it as a contender. So. He's just been um, someone that I think should have been moved earlier this season. I think he's got a good chance as we come up. 
My number two, Brendan Dillon, the defenseman with the San Jose Sharks. The Sharks should uh, start selling off all the pieces they can. Not only are they not in contention, they've got a, a shit ton of money, um, you know, in a lot of positions that, you know, they, they're not going to get value from in trades. So you got to commit to that those big contracts and that money. Uh, Brendan Dillon, a good young player that can contribute on someone's blue line that's an actual contender. My number one, same as you, I've got Alec Martinez. This is a guy with great veteran leadership. Been there, done that. Obviously, he gets the, the game-winning goal in the Stanley Cup, I believe, in 2014, was it? Um, you know, he gives you some offensive pressure and a solid blue line presence. Uh, I've seen a lot of the talk with him in St. Louis just after the Jay Bomeister news. I don't know if they're going to make a piece um, or make a move for a piece that big, but I really do think he's the kind of guy that, you know, if you're trading for him, you're probably not putting him on your first line. Um, you know, maybe you put him in, in your second pairing of defensemen. And, you know, that will give you one of the better defenders that has, you know, the best playoff experience in your matchup. So I think he's a great piece. I think L.A. would be foolish to not really trade any of their players at this point. No one's worth keeping except for some of their young players. They've got some great um, veteran leadership on the offensive end, too, that they should be looking to trade. So, I think we're going to see a lot of these guys move. I think there's it's so wide open in both conferences that these are just some of the names that are going to be considered out of at least a couple dozen. God, I hope so. I hope they're moved because otherwise it's going to be a really boring trade deadline uh, to talk about. Have you ever watched uh, NHL trade deadline day? Like on NHL Network, they have the feed of TSN. It's hilarious when there's no trades for like three hours. I feel bad for the people. <laughs> you, you know, they, they're like, oh, well, it's going to come. It's going to come. And I feel bad for James Duffy and those guys. But they do a fantastic job every year. All right. Let's go to our players of the week, games of the week as well. Uh, I will start. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, for me, uh, fantastic for the Edmonton Oilers. Ten points this past week. He had what was it, three goals and seven assists. He has uh, points in five consecutive games. Five, five goals and seven assists in the last twelve, uh, last five games. But he has been phenomenal. Dry Sainal, uh, really carrying the Edmonton Oilers right now. Uh, just a fantastic. I think he's up to ninety-five points this year. Yeah, I mean he's really separated himself in the in the point chase. I think he's up by double digits at this point, um, hovering right around ten more. Obviously, you know, as McDavid goes down, you wonder what's going to happen to Edmonton. Dreisaitl's bumped him up to the top spot in the Pacific, so you can't. Um, I, I think there was never really that question of was he talented, but I think a lot of people questioned how much of it was just the McDavid factor and playing alongside the best talent we've seen in the last five years. He's proving that, you know, he might not be as dynamic as, as Connor McDavid, but, God, is he is he talented he's a great scorer and a great playmaker um Edmonton jumps Vancouver into the number one spot and that's where I'm going for my player of the week Jacob Markstrom the goaltender of the Vancouver Canucks two wins this week saves 85 of 87 shots that's a 977 save percentage uh, he's just been a revelation this year I mean Vancouver has been a great story a great surprise that they're this competitive in the tough Pacific um in no short reason due to Jacob Markstrom. I mean, he's been fantastic as their netminder. He's my player of the week. Yeah, 49 save shutout for Markstrom uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks uh, when they just got thoroughly outplayed and Markstrom was stellar. I went to bed at 
close to like the end of the second period of that game because I knew where it was going. Uh, with the, you know, uh, all right, let's go to our game of the week quickly. Uh, I am going to go with Thursday night. It is Pittsburgh at Toronto. Uh, it is. Basically, it's a back-to-back for them. Uh, tomorrow night, they play in Pittsburgh. And then on Thursday night, they will play in Toronto. I think it's going to be fun. Two of the most high-flying teams in the NBA. high-scoring. It should be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, great game um, for sure. I'm, I'm trying to make plans. You know, I actually found someone in the area who's a Pittsburgh fan just like I am. So we've been able to geek out a little bit over it, trying to make plans uh, to watch that game because it's going to be absolutely dynamic having these two teams face off. I'm going the, the night after Friday night, 7.30 p.m., Battle of the Central. St. Louis Blues head to the Dallas Stars. Should be a great game as, um, you know, they're, they're playing for the top spot, not just in the Central, but in the Western Conference overall. Should be a great game. We'll see if St. Louis can start to turn their fortunes around. Dallas, as we, um, as I said and, and Matt sort of agreed, has been one of the best teams in the last few weeks. Should be a great matchup. Um, you know, back-to-back nights of really good hockey. Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of great games this week. So, I mean, there are a lot of contenders. Uh, Boston's playing Edmonton, uh, all kinds of stuff, as you mentioned. So, and this is a time of the year where you can see a lot of games uh, on TV, whether it's through NBC Sports, ESPN Plus always has a couple of, uh, a night. So, uh, yeah. So, all right. And now it is time for Smith's Hits. Thank you, Matt. Uh, a little bit of a rougher week. I think I went four and four. Um, had a game that had to push because I uh, made a prediction for the Anaheim-St. Louis game last Tuesday, and obviously it got postponed, so um, a bit smaller of a, of a lineup last week. Overall, 60-41, and 41, pod picks 28-17, and 17, so still feeling good about that. Got a few picks for us this, um, this upcoming Tuesday. First game, Montreal Canadiens at the Detroit Red Wings. Red Wings are plus one and a half. And, you know, I I think this might be the first time I've bet on Detroit, um, you know, being the, you know, the victorious team. I mean, it's just it would have been foolish to ever bet on them this season. But I think they're going to keep it close. They've had some tight games. Uh, Montreal starting to fade a little bit. So Detroit at home, I could see them keeping it within one and a half. So take them with the points and um, pray to whatever God you believe in that you don't lose that bet. Because it's still, I, I just don't feel confident ever betting in support of Detroit this year. Um, speaking of another very bad team, the New Jersey Devils at the St. Louis Blues. I think St. Louis uses this game as an opportunity to turn it around. Um, they've lost five in a row. They don't want to make it six, especially hosting the Devils. So they're minus 230 on the money line. Take them. Um, I think they turn it around as they get ready to face off with Dallas later in the week. Columbus at the Philadelphia Flyers. The line sits at 5.5. Columbus hasn't been playing well lately. I believe they've lost four in a row. They've lost five in a row. Um, you know, the goaltending, which has been so great for them all season, hasn't been great in the last few games uh, Philly is just hit or miss. They could, you know, get shut out by the Devils or they could score six on you. So I say take the over. I just think it's um, offense is going to win. There's going to be some sloppy play. And I think the way that um, Columbus has just been in net doesn't give me any great confidence in them keeping it in a low-scoring game. So take the over under uh, five and a half. Just take the over in that game. I could see it going to, to seven or eight goals. And 
Uh, should be a tight game, but a lot of goals being scored. And those are my picks for Tuesday night's matchups. All right. Well, that's all we got uh, for this week, right? And so next week, it will be trade deadline day. The trade deadline will have passed by the time we come uh, to record the podcast. So we will have a recap of all the trades and our top teams uh, that we think improved themselves and and stuff like that. So it will be a heavy, heavy trade deadline day uh, uh, with the news, depending on how many trades are, and a little bit of other stuff. So for Zach, I am Matt. And we will see you guys all next week. Have a great week, everybody.